So this evening we're wrapping up uh, a series on the three simple rules, the rules that were given to the early Methodists by John Wesley as the simple rules to remember for how we go about living this thing we call the Christian life. These three rules, um, while having great depth, were meant to be easily understood and remembered and um, things we could easily carry directly into our lives as we carried about being this thing, especially for those of us who called ourselves Methodists. This was our method to, uh, to do good, to do no harm, and to stay in love with God. Now, this first rule, uh, just as a reminder, was do no harm. This is the rule that calls on us to be aware of the harm that is done in the world, and especially to be aware of the ways that we contribute to harm. Um, And with this awareness, we go out into the world and seek to do our best to avoid causing more harm. The second rule, to do good, is uh, the rule that calls us to go and do good in the world, to sacrifice our time and energy, not for our own gain, but setting aside ourselves and seeking to do good for others. Uh, Together, these things are done as part of the work of the kingdom of God, and uh, these two are mostly done outside of ourselves and for the betterment of the world and others. Our third and final rule, however, is kind of the opposite. It's more about us and God. Rule three is stay in love with God. Going back to the greatest commandment, uh, we are to love God. And this is the rule that kind of helps us understand how to do that. Now, the actual original rule was attend to the ordinances of God. But that doesn't quite ring as clearly today as it would have in John Wesley's day. And it might even fall into the trap of feeling like there was doing that we had to do to stay in love with God. So Reuben Job, in in compiling this, he changed it to stay in love with God because ultimately what these, uh, Wesley was talking about when he said attending to the ordinances of God was doing those things that helped us to stay closer to God, to stay in love with God. These are the things that continually draw us closer to God. These are things like Bible study and reading scripture, um, having accountability partners, participating in worship, coming to the communion table. Basically, the things that draw us into deeper relationship with God and deeper understanding and knowledge of God. Um, Another way you could also think about this is spending time with God. Now, this was something that Jesus, uh, if you are reading through the Gospels, you'll see he did this from the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, The very first thing he does is he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days, alone with God, preparing for the tasks that is before him. Throughout his ministry, we see where he would pull away from the disciples and spend time alone in prayer. And even right before the crucifixion, He pulls away from the disciples and heads to the garden to pray and seek after God in his final preparation before death. And so staying in love with God is about pulling away, pulling ourselves away from the distractions and the temporal things of life, not to forget about them, but to focus on God so we are more prepared for what is coming next. Our scripture this evening is two stories in one passage. 
Now, I don't know how often you've actually seen them preach together, um, but I found them to be uh, an interesting uh, intermingling of two things I want to point out. Uh, the first story we have is the story of the Good Samaritan, which most folks know, even if you're outside the church. We've all likely heard some variation of the story of the Good Samaritan, of how there was a man who was on the road and he was uh, attacked by robbers and then the robbers uh, left him there to die and first comes by a priest and the priest is like, oh, I'm too holy, I can't touch you, I would be made unclean, I'm going to just keep moving on. And then the Levite comes by and he says something similar and he keeps moving on. And then comes a Samaritan. And to understand Samaritans in the first century world, Samaritans to Jewish people were uh, nobodies. They were less than. They were the people to be avoided. Uh, they were, and there's a whole history behind that and how that came to be. Um, not that that made it okay, but to understand that this was a history of two people groups that did not like each other at all. Samaritans and Jewish people did not interact with one another. Um, they would go out of their way to avoid one another. And so what we have here is a Samaritan who comes by and sees a Jewish man lying on the side of the road and in need of assistance. And what does he do? Instead of, like the others, moving by, he stops and he cares for the man. He does this good and great thing. He even goes as far as not just caring for him there, but taking to him to an inn and telling the innkeeper, I'm going to come back, and when I do, I'm going to settle whatever debts this doesn't pay for. And I want to, just want to make sure this man is taken care of. Now, this parable Jesus is telling comes from a question that is asked of him by a lawyer who is asking, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus says, who is my neighbor? Well, everyone is my neighbor. And then he moves into this next passage. The scene changes, and we move into this scene with Mary and Martha. Now, this particular scene is um, maybe another one that might be a little famous to you because it's, it's the two sisters and there's like competing positions for Jesus's attention. Um, and one is going about her day super busy because Jesus is here, so we're serving the meal, we're being hospitable, we're doing everything that you're supposed to do, we're being good hosts. Wait, I'm being a good host. My sister, however... Look at her. She's just sitting there at Jesus' feet, not doing anything, making me do all the work. I mean, how many of you have ever felt that way? That's kind of, I understand that feeling. And, and Martha feels like, no, no, no. There's a responsibility on me to be a good host. We have guests. This is an expectation. I mean, this wasn't just like a, we really like Jesus, so we want to treat him well. This is also just a cultural expectation of what hosting people in your home meant. There's some really interesting stories about um, Abraham when some strangers show up and how he does a, a similar thing. And um, so there's this tradition of, and culture of hospitality. And Martha is like, Mary, Jesus, is just sitting there not doing her duty. She is supposed to be doing these things with me. She should be helping me, and she's sitting at your feet. And Jesus rebukes her a little bit and says, 
you know what? Mary has made this choice, and I'm not going to take that away from her. Because you know what? It's not a bad thing to sit at my feet. This interesting play of these two sisters ultimately uh, is not about Martha doing wrong. Because it can be easy to read Martha as being rebuked as being wrong. But I don't think that's what Jesus was saying, really. Jesus, I think, was more not rebuking her as saying, stop criticizing your sister and you come sit here too. But more saying, so in the midst of your doing, do you realize you're missing out on something? And I'm not going to take that away from your sister because she wants to take this time and she's given this time to me. So we have these two passages about doing. The good Samaritan who does, who does good. And we have Martha who is also doing good in her household. And we have Mary who is doing a different kind of doing. And it all comes together along with this question that also uh, opens this passage, which is, how do I inherit eternal life? And ultimately, the answer to that question is not about what we do. We've been talking a lot about the things that we do and don't do when we say, do good, don't do harm, avoid doing these things, make sure you're doing these things. And we believe that those things are good, but ultimately it's not about our actions. Eternal life is not about being good enough. It's not about how good we are or how earnest we are. We do good and we avoid causing harm, not because of what it earns us, but because they connect us more deeply to ourselves, to God, and to one another. They deepen the depth to which we understand the call to do good and to love our neighbors. John Wesley would have said this was kind of the coming together of two co-equals in the uh, social holiness and the personal holiness. The call to go out and do holiness work in the world, to make the world better, to create goodness, to avoid harm in the world, and then also to go out and grow closer to God. Personal holiness and social holiness that which happens in me and outside of me. When we deepen our love for God, we share that love ever more in service to God and to others, like the Samaritan does when he stops on the side of the road. And sometimes we can get caught up in the doing. Because I don't know about you, but I've been doing this church thing professionally now for a few years, and church is really good about doing. <laughs> we love to have our next program. We love to have our next idea. We love to be, especially pastors, we love to be planning the next sermon series and what the next big lesson's going to be. We, we like to be looking ahead. All of these things are good, by the way. These are not bad things, but sometimes we can get caught up in the doing, and we forget that it's important to stop, to be like Mary and set time aside 
to stop doing and sit at the feet of Jesus as we prepare our hearts and minds to slow down. As I was writing this, I got this image of running a marathon, or actually preparing to run a marathon. Now, I've run a couple, and uh, there's an interesting experience to the training of running a marathon, because very few of us are able to wake up uh, tomorrow morning and decide to run a marathon and do it. It's just not something you can do. You need to work um, for weeks, if not months, of training and preparing. Week by week, uh, increasing our longevity, pushing ourselves to go just a little farther with each big run, taking regular maintenance runs so that we can maintain the progress we've made, bigger and bigger runs until you're about two weeks out, and then letting your body rest a little bit so that your body isn't exhausted on the race day. Now you still do a few smaller runs in there, but you're not going to do any of the big runs because you're preparing your body by resting. You've done all of this other work and this task that is before you is almost there. And then on the night before, you're going to eat a good carb-filled meal that's going to uh, nourish you as you uh, burn off all of that energy. And then the next morning, you're going to have to eat something, not something too heavy so that it sits in your stomach and you get sick, but something that's in your stomach and gives you nourishment that morning as you are running the race, pushing yourself towards that final goal of crossing the finish line. All of this preparation is what is needed for this big race so that we're able to go the full distance. Our faith life is a lot like that. We've got a long journey ahead. No matter how many days it is, we have a long journey ahead of us where we're going to be walking. And to be ready to go and do good, to go out and know how to avoid harm, we have to prepare ourselves so that we're ready to live out those two other simple rules. So we stay in love with God. Attending to these acts of piety, these worshiping and studying and communing, gathering. All of these things for the purposes of building us up so that we can go out and do more. In many ways, this makes the third rule maybe the most important because it is what makes the other two really possible. Because when we do, when we take this time, we're drawn closer to the feet of Christ. And that's where we find that deepest connection to the Holy Spirit and that's what makes it possible. All of the things that we want to do in our faith life, that's what makes it all possible. It gives us the energy and the endurance to run the full race. To remember, above all things, the children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I know that because I've read the Bible, and so that's how I know that's what the Bible says.
And ultimately, all of this brings us back to that great commandment. To love one another. To love God. Who, of course, has loved us first. To be ready to go out and do. To do good. To do no harm. And to stay in love with God. Amen.